0: This is Maya and Bailey. Bailey, and we are talking a little bit for Terrible. Thanks for asking. Bailey, you have two pets that live in your room. Can you tell us what they are and and all about
1: them? Sure. So, I have two guinea pigs, and their names are Snickers and Twix. The favorite dinner food is romaine, romaine lettuce. I mean, when we close the blinds, in the evening when it gets dark, the guinea pigs start squeaking because they know it's food time.
0: We also have two cats, but one of those cats is your favorite. Can you tell us
1: about that cat? Iggy. Uh, Iggy's a fat, short-haired cat. And when you hug her, she squeaks. Like, mmm. And yeah, I like her because she's uh doesn't jump in your face whenever you see her. And,
2: yeah. I'm Nora McNerney, and this, as Maya said, really stepping on my lines, is terrible. Thanks for asking. There's this famous piece of writing by Emily Pearl Kingsley about parenthood. It's not very long, and it starts like this. When you're going to have a baby, it's like you're planning a vacation to Italy. You're all excited, you get a whole bunch of guidebooks, you learn a few phrases so you can get around, and then it comes time to pack your bags and head for the airport. Only when you land, the stewardess says, Welcome to Holland. You look at one another in disbelief and shock, saying, Holland? What are you talking about? I signed up for Italy. Emily wrote this about finding out that your baby has Down syndrome. She wrote it back in 1987. And 30-some years later, it's quoted all over the place. By that, I mean Pinterest, Instagram, all the places we do most of our reading. And it's quoted about parenting all kinds of children. And even though Bailey doesn't have Down syndrome, I immediately thought of it when I sat down to talk with Maya about raising her son, Bailey. Even though sometimes, when Maya talks about Bailey, it seems like Italy is where she landed.
0: He loves to read. He just finished reading Moby Dick. He's 12, mind you. He finished reading Moby Dick for the second time. He is funny. He loves jokes, especially physical humor. He learned how to make fart noises with his neck. You know, like, he, and the armpit fart wasn't enough. He learned a way to, like, squeeze his head against his shoulder so his neck farts. Um, he a lot of questions about politics and just social awareness. We talk a lot about sexism and feminism and environmentalism, and he always has a lot of questions or thoughts or ideas about that. He's really into cooking. He came home and said that they learned how to make um, mini pizzas. And he wanted to know if he wanted to make them for dinner, if he could make them for dinner for us. And I was like, yes, absolutely. So I take him to the store and he buys everything that he needs. And then he gets home and he's making it. And then I realized that he's actually making bruschetta. Yeah, a mini pizza, Maya. I think that's okay. what the teacher called it. So that way the kids would be more likely to eat it. But I was thinking pizzas, so the only thing that we had for dinner that night was tiny little bruschetta. Like,
2: I had four <laughs> pieces. Oh, God. Because I was know, like, yeah. I just hit my teeth on the microphone. That's how hard I just left.
0: You know, and he learned how to make homemade Alfredo sauce. He likes to get up on the weekends and make pancakes for everybody. So, yeah. Yeah, he's a, I love, he's a great kid. He's yeah. so fun.
2: Um, he is great. That sounds amazing. And also, you emailed us and said, um, what if sometimes you have to hide with your nine-year-old to protect yourself from an abusive relationship? Right. So, about a
0: year or so ago, I started noticing... That I was scared to be home alone with him. Or I didn't want to come home if he was also at home. Because he has gotten to the point where when he's angry, it comes out as violence. Fists going, arms swinging, legs kicking full-on screaming violence and I was at the point where I was resenting him and scared of him and it would get so bad sometimes that I would be with his younger brother in his room hiding him while we're trying to be as quiet as church mice. So that way Bailey couldn't hear us while he was in the living room, destroying the place, screaming and yelling and kicking holes in walls, knocking things over, tearing things up.
2: That right there, that's the Holland part. The violence and the screaming and the fear. That's the reminder that where Maya is with Bailey is not where she expected to be. When Maya found out she was pregnant, she was thrilled. Just thrilled. Do you remember telling your husband?
0: Yes. He was at work, and I couldn't wait, so I went to his work and I told him. Cute. Where does he, what kind of a job does he have? He worked the graveyard shift
2: at an adult shop back then. So mm-hmm. you kicked in the door of, like, a sex toy shop. Yes. In the middle of the night.
0: In the middle of the night, yeah.
2: Um, I really want you to just describe that scene for me. Like, what's... <laughs>
0: No, I don't remember there being any customers, but I remember like there was another employee there and I just like brought the pregnancy test, the pee stick, like shoved the stick at him and told him we were pregnant. And then he did that, you know, very stereotypical thing where he just kind of like stood there and blinked a few times, you know, where you have to
2: adjust to it. Maya's pregnancy was normal and hard because pregnancy is hard, by the way. You're growing a human inside of yourself, and that can be very uncomfortable. And he was a kicker,
0: man. Man, he was a kicker all the time. Just, you know, those videos where you can see the arms and the feet. Kicking straight out. When I was seven months pregnant, went to the midwife and I was complaining about his butt in my ribs, and and they were like that that
2: shouldn't be a that's probably not a butt. So they did the little ultrasound and turned out he was breech. So that was his head in her ribs. Breech means head up, feet down. The opposite of the way a baby is supposed to come out. It's not a huge deal. Most babies eventually turn themselves around. They get it figured out. But not Bailey. He stayed upright, kicking away. And then one night, at 35 weeks, Maya's water suddenly broke. That's about five weeks too early, for those of you wondering. He kicked so hard that he
0: actually tore open the sack. And so my Waters'
2: head broke. He had kicked... So hard, he broke the amniotic sac. That's the little bubble that babies live in while they grow inside of a person. He induced his own labor. And just like that, Maya's birth plan was out the window. She and her husband took their little binder, which they had not finished reading, not even close, and they rushed to the hospital where Bailey was born a few hours later via C-section.
0: And they pull him out and they show him to me, and it was the most magical feeling he looked straight at me he was about four feet away from me and he just he his eyes were dark dark blue like a midnight blue and he just looked straight at me and it just still gives me goosebumps
2: We'll be right back. So we're back. You wanna talk about what Bailey Burrito is?
1: Yeah, so I have a comforter. Uh, I cover myself in it really tightly. Kind of like a burrito? Yeah, Yeah. just had a hiccup. Just snuggle snuggle yourself up as
0: a burrito that makes you feel better? Yes.
2: Bailey was premature, so instead of going home a few days later, like they'd planned on, he spent his first three weeks of life, 21 days, in the NICU before Maya and her husband, Brandon, brought home their baby. Bailey's babyhood was, I mean, I, I don't how do you describe a babyhood? All parents, we have no idea what we're doing. Not the first time, not really the second time either. We are all basically making it up. And then, I mean, as a part of that, you just end up talking to your friends and the internet and your doctor because you are sure everything is wrong. And then it's usually not. So Bailey was Maya and Brandon's first baby. So Bailey was their yardstick of what a baby is like. And Bailey was tough. Not just in those first few months, but even as he got older. He was easily upset. He was hard to soothe. He seemed like a puzzle they couldn't quite solve.
0: I remember when he was like a toddler, like two or three. We never knew how he was going to react in any situation. He was always um, upset by what seemed at the time very random things and would act in a way that was, you know, the terrible twos, but it seemed much more terrible at the time than other people's kids. I remember one of my friends had a boy around the same age, just a couple months older. And she took him to the mall and he crawled into a window display and kind of wrecked havoc on the window display with the mannequins. And, you know, he was like two years old. And she described it as he had a Bailey moment because that's what Bailey would have done. Um, You know, kind of that, that joking, like if your kid acts naughty, then it's a Bailey.
2: Bailey started school. Kindergarten for which there are evaluations, which, oh gosh, they're so brutal. I mean, they tell you not to worry about it, but of course, it feels like you, the parent, are also being evaluated. And there's also no way for it not to feel as if your kid and his progress are being measured, and therefore that his value is being measured. And you know, yeah. Every child is different, but now they're being graded for it and sorted into categories for it. And here's how Bailey did. Bailey did great in math and alphabet, but the socializing part, he really struggled with. So Maya and Brandon took it up with their pediatrician.
0: I remember him using the word weird kid. You know, that his idea of a kid who was autistic was one of those weird kids. Um, and that Bailey didn't seem like one of those weird
2: kids. And he meant like, oh, he doesn't have to be wearing headphones all the time. Like exactly. wear the same t-shirt backwards every day. Like he doesn't have like a he doesn't have a quirky thing that Right. But he went ahead and
0: gave us a referral to see a behavioral specialist. And he had confirmed at that point that Bailey was autistic, but was what they call Asperger's. They're leaning away from Asperger's now. They're, they're changing the terminology of autism as, as we're learning more about like the spectrum of autism, but basically what they would call high functioning autism. So he, he wasn't the kid who needed the headphones in the padded cell. Basically, he was able to function for the most part normally, but, I mean, just had, like, sensory issues and social cues was where he was struggling. And I mean, and this is five
2: years old. The diagnosis was high-functioning autism, which is now considered Autism Disorder 1. And that diagnosis was scary and helpful for parents of five-year-old Bailey. Because putting him in a category, giving him a diagnosis and a label, And a plan meant that maybe the Bailey puzzle wasn't going to be unsolvable after all. At the time, it felt like a relief
0: because we weren't imagining it. It wasn't in our heads. It was kind of a validation that, that, yeah, something, he was a little different. And we had a name for it. And then with a name, there's resources. So we actually felt really good about it until we started telling our family members most which were supportive but there was a few family members that were like oh well that sucks i'm sorry that you know your life is going to be terrible now like as as if he was going to be an a burden or that there was you know something wrong with him You know, again, that old-school idea of the weird kid. Hmm. Can you tell us um, a bit about
1: what it feels like when you get angry? Okay, so imagine, like, in a cartoon, when people's faces get all red and angry and stuff. That's me. I get angry. What is it? What do you want to do when you're angry? I want to like flip out and <gasps> I th- I just realized I want to fidget. I'm angry.
0: And that's you're learning you're learning these cues from your occupational therapist, right? Yeah. How to pay attention to clues physical body clues
1: mm-hmm.
0: to help connect them to your emotions. Yeah. yeah. And how do you feel when you're happy?
1: Um, I'm fidgety. Not as fidgety as when I'm angry. I'm not even close to that fidgety. And that's something that your dad and I struggle with because when we see you fidgety, we
0: don't necessarily know if it's happy fidgety or angry fidgety, right?
1: Mm-hmm. You could get me, like, an angry fidget toy and a happy fidget toy. All right. Like, orange green, orange red.
2: That is Bailey now, in middle school, on a good day. One where he can talk about his feelings and have a conversation about what they're like— A day where he can associate that feeling with a fidget toy. A day when it seems manageable. But it's not always like that. Bailey has anxiety and depression on top of his autism. And as Bailey got older, he did learn to make pancakes and make very funny jokes. And as Bailey got bigger, so did his tantrums. Kicking, hitting... And even though that voice of his is so young and so gentle, it belongs to a kid who is nearly as big as his mom, which means that he's harder to control physically and that his tantrums are scary and dangerous.
0: One time after he had ripped the house apart and he was in his room finally asleep, I remember Googling abusive children. And because I didn't, I didn't, you know, and just trying to Google that, yeah, like how do you Google, you know, like is your child abusing you?
2: And Google is like, do you mean are you abusing
0: your child? Exactly, exactly. So, you know, all the articles are about, you know, how to tell if you're in an abusive relationship, which according to Google, and then now since I've learned through my therapist that, that this is a form of domestic abuse. You know, when we think of domestic abuse, you think of it between two adults in a relationship, but not, you know, the, the child abusing the parent. It's not intentional. He doesn't, you know, he's not being abusive to be malicious. but does that matter in the moment when you're having to you know protect your face and having to restrain him as much as you can because he's as tall as you are and weighs almost as much as you do and like what do you you know what do you do like in if you're in a in an abusive relationship you know all the advice is to leave right but how do you know it's your kid like you can't leave you know but then what do you like what do you do do you send them you know if this was a novel he would be sent to you know a stern uncle's farm to work out his aggressions over the summer you know but that that's not the reality of the situation
2: The reality of the situation is that Maya is stuck between her love for this child and her fear of him and her fear for him, too. Because having an atypical child is hard for Maya and hard for her husband. It's hard for Bailey, too, even if he isn't always fully aware of it.
0: I was volunteering in Bailey's Class like there was a class party and he was in third or fourth grade and there was we were watching the kids kind of just play and socialize and one of the other moms that was helping out was standing next to me and she turns to me and she says bailey's kind of weird isn't he and i remember thinking screw you lady Like, yeah, he's weird, but now we know why. Like, he's autistic, you know, but why is that a bad thing? You know, my husband and I are weird. You know, we celebrate weirdness. But to have somebody else's mom, like, point it out felt so awful.
2: God, fudge that mom. (laughs) Just side note. (laughs) Coming in with a little editorial. (laughs) That mom's the worst. (laughs) Oh, geez. (laughs) That's why I don't talk to people. Um, I don't want to show off my intellectualism, but I found another phrase on Pinterest uh, that described parenting as your heart walking outside of your body. It's by Elizabeth Stone, who's um, a writer, teacher, journalist, popular on Pinterest. Now, I read that long before I had kids and I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. But the minute you feel your child walking out into a world that will, no matter what, judge them and hurt them, you feel it. When that's your kid that's being called weird or dumb or who is playing alone at recess, that's you. That's your heart. Your little person, your big person, your love for your kid is a tangled mess of all of your own feelings about yourself and your own parents and all the ways you want things to be different for your kids. We want for our kids what we want for ourselves, to be loved and to love and to find a little spot in this world. Maya doesn't want Bailey to be like all the other kids. She doesn't want him to lose the things that make him delightful, the things that make him Bailey. Bailey, um, I had told
0: Nora that you learned how to neck fart. Can you demonstrate that for us? Sure.
2: (laughs) Maya wants Bailey to be his neck-farting self and to be able to fit into this world and for the world to make some space for him. And for her, too, for their whole family. Because this is a lonely place to be for all of them.
0: You know, you can tell people that you're having a really rough time at home and things are really bad. But you can't exactly tell them, oh, and it's because your husband has two black eyes because your son punched him um, and that they can't come over to your house because you have to do repairs from the damage.
2: You cannot tell people that. But you can tell them about your lovely family camping vacation where everything was great and fantastic. You can tell them about that trip show them pictures, compare suntans, but can you tell them about the drive home? Can you tell them about what happened on the highway? Something had upset him, and he was trying to grab the
0: steering wheel to swerve the car off the highway. He was trying to open up the door to jump out of the car on the highway. He was in the back seat grabbing us in the front seat trying to choke us and we pulled over at a dairy queen and he got out and ran towards traffic so we had to grab him so here we are in a parking lot at a dairy queen with him sitting it's in the middle of summer, so it's like 100 degrees out, and he's sitting in the full sun crying while all these strangers are like, do we need to call the police? Are you hurting him? While we're on the phone with a crisis team to try to get them to come out to this very rural Dairy Queen in the middle of nowhere to try to help us, but then they can't because— According to them, since Bailey ran, he's considered a runaway, and the only thing we can do is call the police. But he's 11 at the time. How do you call the police on your 11-year-old son, especially when the police aren't trained for... Dealing with adults with mental illness, much less a child. From sitting in the blazing hot summer sun, crying, he eventually calmed down enough where he was thirsty and hot and tired and wanted to get back in to the car. But he said that as soon as he got home, he was going to run away. But we got home. And he didn't run away. But we called the pediatrician the very next day to make an appointment. Um, because we, we realized we needed help but had no idea where to go for the help. We didn't know what to do. And the only person that we could think that maybe could help us would be his doctor even though you know when you go to the pediatrician it's for the checkups or you know rash or you know I wasn't even aware if you could really go to a pediatrician and say hi our kid is beating the crap out of us help
2: We'll be right back. We are back. Maya and Brandon did go to a pediatrician and basically say, hi, our kid is beating the crap out of us, help. It was a new pediatrician from the one who had diagnosed Bailey. And they went and they got a plan and they do that plan. But like any plan, it is easier in theory than it is in practice. Because in practice...
0: Every time that he gets upset, there's violence. And the last therapy appointment that, he, that we had with his therapist, she was telling us that we kind of need to start entertaining the idea that Bailey could be one of those teenagers or adults that won't accept the help and that you have to let them go.
2: What did she mean, let him go? He, he
0: can't, he he needs to learn that if he's going to continue to be violent, he can't stay in the house. So we've been instructed for when this happens, every single time we have to call a crisis team. If they can, they remove him from the home. So he needs to learn that if he continues to show violence, he can't, he's putting himself and his family in danger and he can't stay, which means that if he doesn't learn this, when he does become a 16-year-old, a 17-year-old, that. The crisis team for the children aren't going to be, he's going to age out of it, and it's going to be juvenile hall. It's going to be jail. That's a possibility, and that we need to prepare
2: for that. How do you prepare for that?
0: When we came home from that appointment, I asked my husband if he thought having Bailey prematurely and having to leave him at the hospital when he was a baby was a sign that he didn't ever belong to us, that he will always have his own path and do what he needs to do and we can't really be there for him. You, I mean, you can't prepare for it. We've been told that, you know, we can't parent Bailey on what might happen. We can't adjust our... Parenting and our boundaries because we're afraid that he's going to flip out and hurt himself or hurt somebody in his family. We have to parent and what's actually happening. And so, you know, we have to live very much in the moment, but also just know that, you know, we're finally getting the help, we're finally doing the things that we're supposed to be doing, but it may not ever help.
2: That parenting essay I brought up at the very beginning of the episode It ends by acknowledging that the change of plans from Italy to Holland was hard and that for the rest of your life, you will be surrounded with people who got the trip you were planning to take, who got the kind of kid you were planning to have. It says, and the pain of that will never, ever, ever, ever go away, because the loss of that dream is a very, very significant loss. But... If you spend your life mourning the fact that you didn't get to Italy, you may never be free to enjoy the very special, the very lovely things about Holland. There are so many lovely things about Bailey, things that Maya loves. I want to be so, so, so clear about that, that she loves this boy, and that is what makes all of this so hard. She does see every special thing about her trip to Holland. And it hurts. And it's lonely. Because Bailey is an unsolvable puzzle. We all are, but Bailey's pieces are hard to fit together, even for himself. One of the great injustices of life is that there isn't some test we can take that tells us how to solve these puzzles that says definitively, well... Hmm, looked at the issue. It's 10% autism, 35% middle school, 15% parenting, 45% normal teenage hormones. Solved it. Also, it has been brought to my attention with my own eyeballs right now. That adds up to more than 100%. I'm pretty sure. Does it? 35, 50. I truly, as soon as I see numbers, my brain just pop. There's like a little spring. Out. The point is, there's not a test like that. And as a kid, it's hard to feel a storm inside of yourself and not know what it means or how to weather it. And as a parent, it's hard to watch your child suffer and not know how to fix it. Maya's family has navigated this world the best they can, but there's no set path to follow. There's no to-do list that they can complete to reach some unknowable goal. That's part of the pain, that's part of the loneliness. They aren't trying to get to Italy. They're just trying not to fall off the map entirely. Maya's pain and loneliness is not just for her and her other son and her husband. It's for Bailey, for that piece of her heart and what will become of him as he walks through this world. You described the first time you saw Bailey as him locking eyes with you, and it was magical, and you got goosebumps. Yeah. Do you still have moments like that with him?
0: Yes. He'll be focused on something. He'll be drawing or reading or petting, you know, snuggling with one of his guinea pigs. And you just look at him and I just fall in love with him all over again. You know, the most beautiful person you've ever seen. And it takes away all that pain. And then I say, Bailey, I love you. And then he makes a face at me and goes, ugh! (laughs) And then the moment's gone.
3: Um so it's Christmas Eve and Bailey and his brother got into a little you know disagreement as as siblings do and uh as I tried to break it up Bailey punched his brother several times right in the back on along his spine and I got his brother safely to his room While his father and I had to physically restrain Bailey because he was throwing things and punching holes and kicking holes in the walls and throwing our computer monitor. And in the process of trying to hold him down, his father and I got punched several times. I have a fat lip. My nose is bleeding We've got bites, broken skin, and scratches. I had to call the crisis center. They uh, had to come and physically carry Bailey out, and they're taking him overnight to a crisis center where he can be safe on Christmas Eve. And all I can think of is, what if this never ends? What if one day he has to leave our house and can't come back? What if he hurts himself, hurts somebody else? What if, despite everything, we can't help him? And it just, it breaks my heart. The crisis team has him in the car in our driveway trying to get him buckled in. And I could just hear him screaming, which means, you know, the neighbors can hear him screaming, too. And, you know, everything makes me want to go out there and, like, hold him and protect him and hug him. But you ca- I can't, you can't.
2: That was a message from Maya recorded on Christmas Eve 2018. Since Christmas Eve, the family has been working with Bailey's school, his psychiatrist, his therapist, his occupational therapist, and with Bailey on how they move forward. I'm Nora McNerney, and this has been terrible. Thanks for asking. Hans Butow is our senior producer. Marcel Malikibu is our assistant producer. Hannah Meekock-Ross is our project manager. Alex Baumhart gave us some help on this episode, and we appreciate it. Our theme music is by Joffrey Wilson, and we are a production of American Public Media.